Welcome to Don't Be Coy. I'm your host, Uncle Lou. And today I have the honor, pleasure, and the utmost appreciation to have with me today, Mr. Zakari Murphy. Uh, Zakari, how are you doing today? Thank you for being on the show, sir. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. This is really cool. I'm just so thoroughly impressed by what you've been able to put together and like the content you've been able to put out there. Kudos to you on it. Oh, man. Thank you a lot. You sound like a really true big fan. I appreciate that a lot. How's your week been? Um, hectic, but I've from your perspective, you could probably see like this is just that time of year where it's like you just rubber has to meet the mode and get things gone, done. But it's a good there's beauty in the struggle, like we said earlier. So no complaints over here. Just yeah. taking it day by day and the lessons that it has to give me. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Well, if you could do me a little favor, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Sure. Um, for the audience, my name is Zakari Murphy. I'm currently an MD, PhD candidate at University of Washington. Also a dual enrolled student with Morehouse School of Medicine. I'll be happy to go into that later on a different episode if y'all need to know about that. I'm currently 27, about to be 28 years old from good old fashioned Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, wow. So you grew up growing up in Shreveport. What was that like for you? Um, it was one of those quiet small towns, kind of like a retirement town, like a good enough, a good enough. Shreveport is two. Yeah, it's two hundred retirement. 000, it's two hundred thousand people, but everybody there is just I don't know who your demographic is, but older white fifties to upper. Really, especially because we have a lot of healthcare buildings there. So yeah, it's kind of retirement in the sense that it's like chill, especially the more you go towards Bossier. Or like go up towards Greenwood. It's like, okay, it's an older population suburban air when selling to their ways. Huh. Now don't get me wrong, there is a crime area too. Like oh, my, okay. da- <laughs> my dad's been saying, like they've been shooting up the block like there ain't no tomorrow there for no good reason. Yeah, I was but about it- to say, I you know, I grew up hearing about Shreveport a lot. So when you said it was like an old retirement community, I was a little bit confused. Okay, if you want to go into that side. So yeah, there is that's one half of it. The other half of it is it is kind of rough. Of course, if you go into areas like Allendale. Cedar Grove, um, Stoner Hill. Like, yeah, there is the urban young kind of traditional African-American population that have like their grandmas and all that. So they're in those same neighborhoods because those were the traditional black neighborhoods. But ironically, unfortunately now, because of the influx of the youth and not necessarily having the best role models or the best lessons. And of course, poverty is a brewing for negative outcomes. You do kind of have like that unfortunate narrative of perpetuating psycho poverty leading to violence and of course, property crime or property damage. Yeah. Because it's like, it's that weird dichotomy because you see me here, the what's possible for me and the potential for me is like some people grew up just as smart as me, just as great grades, just as much influence and positive support, but they went down a different way where they got into drugs or got into gang violence or crime. Mm. Uh, the theme, perfect example I like to give is my cousin, Booney. We grew up in similar households, same financial stability, same support. Here I am as an MD, PhD candidate, Booney is constantly in and out of jail for various crimes. I don't want to put his stuff out there because I don't know who's listening to this. But, yeah, so we still love him and support him. But these kind of things just happen. Just like that's the story to tell, like the tale of two cities, things that just go on and what differentiates this. So each day I'm grateful for like me being one of the more positive outcomes and just I dedicate each day of my life to get to a point 
where I'm able to resolve as much knowledge as I can and put it into action so I could per- change this perpetuating cycle and change the outcomes and trajectories of people that come from my familiar community to mine and show, feel these cracks so they could go farther than me and then pay it forward so we could keep doing that, like replace the negative cycle with a positive cycle. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's most important to me. And that's kind of what led me to this field. Mm. Can you can you expound on that a little bit more? Um, when you say go into this field, like um, explain exactly what field that is and um uh, more into why you decided to get into it. Yeah, so when I say my field, I'm alluding to psychiatry. Um, for my MD-PhD, I do want to do a residency in psychiatry. My research is actually upon addiction psychiatry just because it's like a perfect model of a, like understanding how culture meets society, meets, meets behavior, meets physiology, meets mental. It's like so many fields try to differentiate these and cut them up to different sectors, but it's overlying, multifaceted, encompassing whole, and that's why you have to choose true individualistic treatments to kind of meet like the needs of our patients that we see because of course they are vulnerable populations they do suffer from these certain diseases as well as comorbidities that come along with it so when i say this particular area is because growing up alluding back to what we just talked about i saw a lot of mental health issues i saw a lot of addiction of course i didn't understand at the time and of course it Ironically, also changed my trajectory because of what was happening in my immediate family as well as what was possible for us and put us into some not so great financial situations. But of course, my dad, who suffered from alcoholism, who also suffered from cancer, he drunk, basically drunk himself to self and died. And I always ask myself, why did he do that or what led him to is like, why was he so attached to his sub- substance that he gave up all he had, all these ki- kids these families and people that they loved them and then it's like that sparked me it's like it's sad that i couldn't do anything about this of course i was barely a child at the time but it's like a kind of always put in the back of my head like i want to get to a position where i can change it so other people don't have to suffer going to what i went through mm. so that's why i've been by like my field in the area of mental health mental disorders and of course one of those being addiction and substance abuse disorders yeah, so let's let's try to take a deep dive into that because I I heard you say a lot of things that um, I would really like to unpack there specifically around like one asking that question like why do we make the decisions that we make mm-hmm. um, and then um, extrapolating that with the concept around that decisions or um, how do you say psychiatric behavior or just behaviors in general. Um, aren't necessarily related to one tangible thing. There are different aspects that um, create the um, mosaic art of what makes that individual that individual. Like you were talking about like your cousin, y'all grew up in similar households, similar situations, yet and still um, y'all outcomes came different. Um, uh, From a scientific perspective, um, how would one explain that? it's kind of one of those interactions between nurture versus nature. It's Mm. like the idea of like, do we control or manage or change the environment or is it the vice versa? Does the environment change us? So it's kind of like the idea of like ongoing constant dichotomy, which we probably won't find an answer for years because this has been a, idea that's been studied we've been trying to study since the beginning man and that's what's going into this but if we're asking for my complete view it's that's the idea of like if we're taking it's funny because social sciences are also science of course hard sciences like biology biochemistry chemistry pharmacology are a hard science this is where both of them kind of have a different viewpoint Mm. if we're going with the hard science thing which i think you're alluding to it's the idea of like there may be some morphology within the brain physiology or physiological manifestations where it's like 
we could go through the same environment, but for some reason, my brain doesn't maladapt or maladapts in a quote unquote more positive way. Whereas like this same obstruction, these same daily stressors within the environment, for some reason, their brain copes and maladapts and then probably adopts these quote unquote negative coping mechanisms that might change them and lead them to make different decisions. Mm. And also it's like this idea of like, for some reason, some people might be predisposed to these certain behaviors, these certain characteristics of course, there's the environment like you witnessing and seeing like different people do this or different people do that. And of course, you might encode it with me- with your mirror neurons. And now it's like your body and your brain says like this is socially acceptable behavior. This is how you counteract. This is what you should do in this. So it's like I witnessed these people. My brain encoded this behavior. He witnessed these people. and His brain encoded that behavior. And now we have two completely different perspectives and now our brain behaves differently mm. because it's like this thing that we saw and noticed and now our brain tries to make sense of all the stimulus that's coming inside and of course sometimes it's like both of us have the exact same brain physiology here's another theory about predisposition it's just for some reason minds stay more stable while theirs broke and for like a better time and the idea of like how medicine views this is and then I'll take a side tangent about this where all our audience um, psychiatry is trying to move more towards the idea of like there is no right or wrong, there is no broken, there's no fix because we understand there is no objectable, objectifiable normal. Everybody is kind of different in their own regard. It's on a spectrum because no one completely has it one percent all together by the book. Otherwise, we wouldn't be humans in the self. We have free will, free identities, free intellect. So it's like there is no perfect norm. There is no off. It's just that people are different from the scale where there's like okay, now this is a danger to your own self-being. That's when we say like, okay, this is maladaptive. This is a problem. This is taking unnecessary risk. Mm. And for some reason, people are more liable to take these necessary risks. And some people are like less high risk taking. And sometimes you want to take risk in the right moments and not take risk in the wrong moments and vice versa. And for some reason, we start to notice like these people who do end up in jails or prisons, we see a comorbidity. It's like they've been taking these riskier decisions with like, Possibly their part past romantic partners, these risky decision making when it comes to their education, risky ideas when it comes to run ins with the law, law and like how they choose to take their money. Whereas like some people take these more stable risks that we say deem positive by society. And of course, this perspective of realm we live in is like, OK, this is the safe state within. This is what you should do. Go to college. Take the take this test. Go into this career, nice, stable career, which is funny because it's still taking a risk because you don't know if they'll have great outcomes or not, but it's a different risk. So a positive risk versus a negative risk, high risk versus low risk, risk susceptible versus risk adverse. The, all these questions like goes into like what dictates his decision-making, what dictates his behavior. And then it's like, that's more indicative of what outcomes are, can be possible for you. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So I, I heard a lot there and I, I want to try to unpack a lot of that. So one thing that I heard, um, was that there's two facets when it comes to um, understanding decisions and how we define what's acceptable and not acceptable. Like um, one is from the internal aspect of being um, what our personal coping mechanisms might be for certain types of situations. I'm hungry, so I eat. Um, but then, you know, um, what could one could acceptable is what is it that we eat or how often we choose to eat. But then there's also this concept around um, the accessibility, acceptability around um, 
from a social standpoint. So I think about like John Locke's social contract and we have life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And so anything that infringes on that quote social contract is um, quote wrong. Mm -hmm. And so with that, um, from a um, psychology or yeah, psychology or psychological standpoint, what I'm hearing or you say is that individuals that impede on those basic human rights quote become wrong and are engaging in quote risky risky behavior and thus it falls onto this particular spectrum where it's like this is wrong but it's not as bad wrong as this this is good but it's not um uh doesn't have any kind of um risk to it so i I guess like my question to you is Uh, When we talk, start talking about like this good risk and this bad risk, because I really want to like get real deep into this is um, what does that scale particularly look like? Is it like this is good with 25 percent risk or this is um, 75 percent risk with 25 percent good? How does that um, how is that articulated? In the psychiatric and scientific field, we try to make it, it's a moving scale depending on which behavior we're actually alluding to. And then that's how we necessitate to it, like what's high risk versus low risk and all that. So is there any particular behavior you want to look into so I could give a better example or analogy? Um, not necessarily. What would, uh, I would let you, I would like you to choose that. Okay. Um, a good go-to one is the idea of gambling. Like this idea of like, there is a substantial, there is a substantial chance that you will not get a reward, but there's also, but there is a minor chance that you will get an amazing reward. So again, this idea of like high risk versus low risk, because most of us is like taking a gamble is like, I might take a gamble on like a dollar, two or three dollars because I don't have to lose out on much. But these other people is like, I'm willing to take that risk on a thousand, two thousand, even a million dollars. And then this idea of low risk versus high risk, and then it goes into what's socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable. Because losing out a dollar, two dollar, a hundred dollars, two or three hundred dollars, it might set you back, but it's like you're still fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas this person that just bid a million dollars, like, okay, now you're just putting in danger your livelihood as well as like the people who are depending on you. And like this is becoming maladaptive, like because it's going against this idea of like this doesn't make logical sense by the social contract, because it's the idea of like you make these decisions to put yourself as well as your loved ones, as well as the community all into around you in a safe, stable, economically, economically sound, sound may not be particularly like exponential, but at least we're in the point where like we make these sacrifices so we can all be taken care of where these high gamblers, high risk taking people is like, you're making decisions, either these people with the stock market, with other people's money. And of course, in these, of course, in these buildings, such as, the higher up stockbrokers, whatever, you're making decisions that not only affects you, but millions and billions of people. And you're putting a lot of people's like, likelihood at risk. But it's like the idea of like, why are you so eager or so accepted to take this risk, even though it's like it goes against what we've kind of agreed upon is safe and stable to the point like, you're now you're putting yourself in a detriment. You're putting yourself in harm's way. And then that's when it's like, that's when we put that association of bad risk, negative. You're going against your own self-interest. Mm. Basically kind of this small, small pursuit idea of like, I may be rewarded. Yeah. Because of course there's these things of like, I mentioned earlier, necessary risk versus unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. And like, so the idea is like most of the time we take positive view upon necessary risk. Like the idea of like, well, I mentioned earlier, is like, it's a risk going to higher education. It's a risk taking out these loans to go and 
going to a master's program or graduate program because you don't know if you'll land 100% correctly or if you'll get graduate or whatever. But for some reason, people say like, that's okay risk. That's a necessary risk because you're taking a risk but it's to better yourself and better your education. And it's like, it's fine. It's okay. This is where we get this like societal view and this perspective that zooms it into a lens of what category. So it's like, that's a calculated risk and that's okay. That is fine. But ironically, these same people, there's like, you took out a loan to take a bet on a horse race or a volatile housing market and it turned out very, very bad. Yeah. And now it's like, that's associated with a negative risk. So I'm hearing the term risk and decisions being used interchangeably. So like, is that to say that um, from your perspective, within every decision, there's some probability of a risk associated with that. And that risk is of of how you determine to make those decisions or the risk factors that could come with it are more so um, dependent upon the individual and their circumstances. Risk is always kind of, I'll back it up. Risk is the idea of like choosing a behavior in the face of possible adverse outcomes. Mm. It's like you decide to do something knowing that there's a possibility where the big or large that something might not just go right. Mm. Whereas like um, choosing to flick a switch to turn the light on, that's not very much risk because yeah. like that's just a normal everyday function. Choosing to stand up on a moving stool that's on wheelies to like change a light bulb that might not necessarily be the most electrically grounded, that is a risk. Because mm. both both have the outcome of getting light into the room. One is a lot more safe and stable compared to the other one where it's like, this could actually be detrimental to yourself. And then for some reason, some people will a lot to like, I'm calling an electrician. I'm not going to do this to my, myself. Some people are like, I don't want to call an electrician. I'll say that $300. I'm willing to take this risk. And there might be some fundamental change within this person's brain where it makes someone high risk versus low risk. And I'll take attention here. Risk isn't always bad. Right. Risk is necessary in some regards because you hear these quotes without the biggest risk in the world is someone who's not willing to take risk at all or B, without any great risk, there can be no great reward. So risk, risk taking is a part of human function and human behavior. But the idea of like when it becomes too much, again, going to spectrum where it's like now it's make, going outside the realm of understanding. Um, I I particularly knowledgeable about this because this is actually what my dissertation work is upon is a is based upon. Right. Uh, risk taking decision making in the face of punishment, a.k.a. adverse consequences and it in terms of cocaine self-administration. Mm -hmm. So I look at different regions of the brain, mainly the prefrontal cortex, and see this different... You're going to have to go into that a little bit more because you, you can't just drop cocaine and not say what you use it for. I spend the block, I sell these drugs. That, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but no. So, all right. I mentioned earlier, I work in addiction psychiatry at Seattle Children's. So we're allotted, and of course approved by the NIH as well as the government, to use these... Narco narcotic substances such as cocaine, meth, fentanyl, opium, and not opium, opioids in general, as well as what's the last one? THC. And like we're because again, this idea of risk associated with addiction. Now our conversations come in full circle. The idea what make one core underlying trait of addiction 
is choosing to pursue a substance like my father, despite negative consequences, despite knowing better. Like if I choose to take this substance, I could lose out on my house. I could lose out on my loved ones. I could lose out on my financial stability. But yet these people are still, still willing to take it no matter what good or bad because of this, either this dopamine rush that they get, like the pursuit of it, or it's like, again, maladaptive behavior, coping with the stresses or pressures of life. There are different reasons going on it, but it still comes back to like, of course, it goes into like, no matter what your reason is, you're taking a certain risk. Mm-hmm. And then we could go into why we take the risk. That's a whole different question, but we're just focused on risk taking itself. And then again, there are positive risks. There are <laughs> negative risks. Because it's like the positive risk of like, okay, I see this cute girl. I want to ask her out. If it doesn't go well, all right, I just got rejected. There's a positive risk that you're willing to take because there's something to gain, but there wasn't that much to lose. I mean, your feelings get hurt. And your self-esteem is low for a couple minutes or maybe a day, but at the end of the day, it's fine. Now there's a higher now a higher risk situation. Like I felt disrespected, so I'm gonna try to fight this person. Again, you might get get off and like, oh, I I was able to serve my dominance. I got a good outcome. Blah blah blah. I told, I stood up for myself and all that. But now there's a low. But now there's the risk of you might go to jail, or you just put yourself in great harm or danger, your loved ones, or worse yet, you just put that person at a at a risk that they didn't agree to and now they're hurting or in a pain. So again, these ideas are like high risk, high, low risk. But the idea that, that 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 dictates risk is outcome. Yeah. What's the outcome that could come of this? Mm. I think that that's the that's the key point that we want to we want to really get to is the outcomes that we're looking for. Right. And so so I guess my question to you and just to kind of provide some context that you found in your studies, you know, you're utilizing mice and you're utilizing like rats. Um, rats my apologies. You're utilizing rats and utilizing um, addictive behaviors for narcotics. Like, and there's obviously the negative implications that we can think of when one has that addictive behavior to those kind of components. However, what are some of the positives or behaviors that what that you've learned from your research that um, either you could apply to your real life or you're already applying. Right. So again, the brain has risk taking as part of its daily functioning. It needs this because a part of the brain that I look at is the orbital frontal cortex. It's the part of the brain that's affiliated with contingent learning. So learning on the go reversal <laughs> learnings, which is the idea of like changing direction upon this uh, forthcoming information odds estimation so like taking into account like what's the outcome of this what how possible is this to have a good or bad adverse effect and the last one making decisions based upon past outcomes so this idea of like for Nicole Hart research itself of course along this journey I learned many translatable skills as well interpersonal skills and like presentation and communication and so forth so that helped me develop my character but as far as like risk take itself it tried to teach me like in order to be true successful sometimes you do have to lean into the more positive risk taking mm. because again these animals like these animals like we also dictate this as like the idea of motivation or positive reinforcement like they see the reward they give and then this upregulates their ability and their capabilities of constantly pursuing it so it's like it's funny in effect that what's saying is but it's like they are literally the Einstein's of drug taking Mm. Uh, of course, we label them as high risk because they made a connotation on it. 
But at the end of the day, if we replace this as like securing food, like securing food pests or securing sucrose or securing water, them doing these motivated tasks, we say that's a good thing. Because at the end of the day, it shows like this positive reinforcement, this constant pursuit of motivation, despite negative circumstances to get what you need. And kind of like that kind of wrote upon me about that idea where it was an epiphany moment where it's like, of course, not with drugs or any of that sort. But in order to secure what I need to make myself stable, my family stable or whatever, there are certain risks because it's like in order with no great, great risk, there's no great reward. Sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you're going to be bit that be down. You're going to fall down the rocks or whatever, so forth or whatever metaphor you want to use. Because as we all know, of course, probably you know as well as because you also went to graduate schools, whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't life doesn't get any easier. As a matter of fact, it gets harder. The wind blows hardest <laughs> the closer you get to the top of the mountaintop. Yeah. And so it's like with that, it's like that is a risk. You're putting yourself in the way for disappointment, discomfort. You're putting yourself at risk for failure. And this is the biggest thing I took away aside from the research is like Sometimes in graduate school, med school, professional school, or whatever, or in life in general, you are going to fail. Mm-hmm. You are meant to fail. That is part of it. But it's like, you, even if you took the risk, even if you failed, there's something to learn from, to gain from it, to mature yourself, to like, maybe I could change this behavior. Maybe I could change this direction. Maybe there's something I wasn't foreseeing for myself that I can improve upon and try it better next time. And now I take the risk again, but now it's like much, much better odds in my failure in my favor of course i still can fail again but at the end of the day it's progress in that sense of the word you're getting more closer 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 to that positive outcome you want to come so ironically as it goes on it's taking less of a risk because you're more comfortable and you know about it you have more of the tools so it becomes just as normal stable function such as cutting on a light to turn on the turn on turn on light switch to turn on the light like the brain bulb moment yeah so one thing that i was noticing you say there is that when it comes to positive risk, we're more likely or more apprehensive to um, try that risk again if it doesn't work out the way that we've attended it to for that goal. However, for negative risk, Mm -hmm. it's like, like you were saying, like a coping mechanism and it becomes that addictive behavior. Like what is the, um, the different dynamics between the two, between good and bad for why, good risk can't be or can it become addictive i guess is my question yeah um you did an excellent point you're using that brown education over there <laughs> i like putting it i'm sorry y'all i love ribbing him anytime i get we just had a type of friendship um of how you view it because perspective generally matters and subjectivity matters in psychiatry mental health because it's the idea of like one is motivation one is upset is obsession the negative one is obsession mm. it's like this idea of like throwing darts at a board without necessarily improving yourself, without changing anything, without correcting your behavior and expecting different outcomes. Like that idea, definition of insanity. Insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's, that's what they say insanity is. That is that low risk. Whereas this positive risk is like, hey, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. I actually see myself and not just a perceived I'm getting close because a bunch of People who have high gambling problems, they think, oh, if I get two more chances, I get three more chances. It'll, it'll be work. It worked better when honestly it's like the odds are forever the same. This positive risk taking is like the odds are actually, I actually are moving my failure, favor. I'm becoming more comfortable with it. So it's like the idea of like this pushing, pu- pushing towards a actual positive outcome versus hoping for a positive outcome, hoping that the luck just changes. That is the difference between the two. It's like one is actually learning, improving, and progress. Progression one is being stag- stagnant and stable, not changing anything, 
but constantly thinking that the outcome's going to change. And that's where we view it as like obsession versus progression. Mm. Those words rhyme. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And small brain fart. But just the idea of another quote I love to say, um, courage is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Because it's like the idea of like putting this towards an actual positive outcome that actually means something rather than just the idea of just doing something just because it excites you. It gets you, it gets your blood riled up and blood thrilled because you start becoming addicted to the excitement itself, which makes sense because if we link this back to the physiology of pardon me audience, like I, I go back and forth between psychology and physiology or mental behavior. So physiology, because it's intertwined, there's a reason why it's so exciting. You get a, because the circuits in your brain, they're controlled by dopamine Dopamine, as we know, is also in kind of like the feel good drug that makes you feel the idea of what we perceive as happiness. Yeah. So it's like you get this rush of dopamine anytime you engage in a risky behavior. And again, some people become addicted to the rush itself. Yeah. Some people don't actually care about the gambling. They don't care about how much money they win or lose. They like they love the rush mm. of pursuing it. Or it comes to even sex. Like some people fall in more more in love with the idea of pursue, pursuing it and garnering and gaining this rather than the actual outcome or what itself. And then that gratification of the rush for it. But of course, there are safe sex behaviors. There are risky sex behaviors. Mm-hmm. Having multiple partners, having unprotected and all that. And, the, and then again, this is labeled bad risk because it can have a high potential of negative outcome. Yeah. So I think, you know, the easiest one to go to between the difference between motivation versus obsession or progression versus obsession is like understanding like what motivates us and drives us to start taking those quote good risk. But like there are key lessons that we can talk about even within the negative aspects as well of that obsessive, that compulsive behavior. Um, Like there is to your point, like that dopamine, that rush that we get um, do I would say like it's a little bit of the same thing as delayed gratification. So like motivation, you know, you have your long term goals to say, you know, I want to be this in my career. I want to have this kind of family or like I want to have these things manifested into my life. And so we have the motivation and uh, we have to wait for that delayed gratification. But um, with the obsession that allows us to get that same type of rush. Um, but more instantaneously. And I guess my question to you is, as we're all navigating through our life and going through journeys and things of that nature, we're going to need little hits. You know what I'm saying? Something that brings us back to sore after we've had, quote, a bad day or someone's talked to us in not necessarily the most desirable way. Um, how can we utilize those same coping mechanisms, those same hits, if you will, to bring us back to shore, but not let it to become obsessive to where it starts adding into that risky um, behaviors? It comes down to those quiet moments where you actually have to process what just happened, or what led to that outcome in the first place. Oh. And it's kind of like some people do the work and like think of it as a whole assignment. Yeah, you did the behavior, you did the task. But there's an outcome. Your your task isn't done yet. Now you have to actually process the data or of the outcome. What happened? Like a bunch of my students, they're actually in class when they take these tests. 
ironically, these higher risk tests that decide their future that again medical school stuff. It's like, oh, I got this many answers, this many answers wrong, this many answers right. Okay, that's half the battle. Now it's time for you to go back and study it and look into what happened yeah. and why you got this wrong. Not upset because some people get obsessed with the idea of the outcome. Like I didn't get what grade it was. That's all I, I care about. That's why blah blah blah. It's like, no, that's only half the battle. Look at what led to it. Look at what happened. What, what were the red flags that happened along the way to let you know that this wasn't going well? And why did you ignore them? And if you came to face face these same red flags again, will you at least halt and think about it and reflect upon what happened previously? So you go a different direction, change again. The idea of progression, where you start to be able to see the forest for the trees and break, be able to break down your complex decision making path, instead of just saying, "Well, this didn't go right," and just leave it at that. That's not good. That's how you start to get more negative outcomes because again, you didn't learn from it, you didn't gain from it, you didn't grow. Yeah. This idea of like moving forward. Yeah, I think that that's a very key point there, talking about reflection and the importance to just take that moment to pause and realize, like, what is it that got you to this moment that you were in today? And like um, really taking the moment to just truly reflect on where you are and like the decisions that led to that point and how you feel about where your current state is. Um, so I guess for for yourself in your own personal journey, thinking about like getting into an MD PhD program. It doesn't, that's not like a necessarily easy feat. Um, moving from Shreve Point, then moving to Atlanta, then moving to Seattle, isn't necessarily like an easy um, transition to go through. But I can understand from like a motivation and progression standpoint for the experiences that you had growing up and not wanting to, um, perpetuate that same narrative across other different people's um, life, you decided that this is something that you wanted to pursue for yourself. How do you maintain that motivation as the going gets tough? Um, yeah, this is a little bit off the topic of risk, but it's funny because it still goes and coincides with it when we talk about day-to-day -day life. Um, for those people, it's like the idea of the only thing more important than a goal or what you're pursuing is why you're pursuing it in the first place. Because mm. it's that, this idea of like an empty goal, like I'm pursuing this because this is what someone else wants from me. This is what success means to me or this is what this. And then you, those people are the people who burn out the quickest or break down because they don't really truly want it. They just want it for the image or the allure to or the idea of, or, or just a rush of going towards it. Yeah. But when stuff hits the fan or when things don't go right, which is guaranteed, not everything in life is going to go according to plan sometimes, but 90% of the time, not really going to be a linear path, kind of swirly and going in tangents. But um, it's kind of like this idea of when mess hits the fan, you have to truly, truly want and desire this. And it also comes back to like that, again, the idea of reflection. Before you go out and do something, you need to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because my motivation will push me forward, will garner me to gain all the experience, go through these shortcomings, go into these failures and try to learn from my mistakes. Is this idea of like, each day I suffer, each day I pay for it, each day I have a bad, bad experience, it's helping me grow to a point where I can actually help another person. Yeah. So anything that I'm going through negative, I'm getting to the point where this mitigates or lessens another person's suffering. Maybe not in the same way, like, again, I have a bad day where I like I feel like I failed a test or whatever. But if I push through and actually I was meant to happen because that, that negative outcome pushes me to study harder. It pushed me to gain more experience that I give progression. So when I get in a position, I could become a better doctor 
a better physician, a better consultant for somebody else because I went through that temporary discomfort and courage that negative that quote unquote positive risk of like, okay, there's a potential chance for failure and that negative experience of like this hurt my feelings and held myself confidence a little, but I needed to go there to push me a little bit further because I was going too smooth and now I become a better man and a better physician, better practitioner for it. So other people, they don't, they get to suffer less. Now I can help the people that go, go through what my family went through because it's like what's happened, my family said and done, but I can make an improvement what goes on in a pe- other people's lives and help their trajectory. So that's kind of like that thing, what pushes me forward and motivates me. Like, I'm not just doing this for me. This isn't just for my gratification or my will to make me pat myself on the back. It's like, this is greater, this is bigger for me. And what impact do I want to leave on this world long after I'm gone? So that helps me say like, this risk is worth it. I'll go through the discomfort. I'll go through the failures. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that Understanding your why, your reason, your purpose behind your motivation, those taking those good risks is a really grounding thing because it's that why that helps you push towards that progression. But it's also that why that helps in setting those boundaries away from um, those obsessive behaviors that might take you away from whatever your goal may be. Am I understanding that correctly? Very much so. Correct. (laughs) Okay. And. I guess like that's uh you know that makes a lot of sense to me but i think that um in defining one's why like that's not always the easy task right? right um you know so do you mind sharing what your why is i know you shared a little bit around like what you're passionate about and like quote why you're doing the work you're doing which is could be your why but like, do you mind explaining a little bit more around your why and like how you chose for that to be your purpose? Right. Um, I mentioned earlier, my dad died of addiction. Um, also, my mom suffered a severe schizophrenic episode that led to the breakdown of her and my stepfather's marriage. And then I just remember so much pain and suffering on his end, on her end, because because on her end, about like recollect, recollecting like her own body, her own brain and betrayed her. And she felt so isolated because she knew something was wrong, but she couldn't put a finger on. But at the, end, at the end of the day, she was completely helpless and felt so isolated that no one truly understood her. No one could help her. And this was experience in her life was falling by the wayside. And I had to grow up witnessing that. Yeah. And then it's just like each, each day, of course, I could have had two choices. I could have just accepted that. Say this is my life. There's nothing I could do about it. Become obsessed with it. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then adopt these male adaptive behaviors and go down a different path, possibly to the path of my cousin. Or I could say, like, there has to be some positivity out there. I can't just let all this negativity go to waste. There has to be something that could convert this, sublimate it, and get a positive outcome either for me or for some other people. So I love to say, like, my why, which is in a poetic sense, is like one of seeing the tears roll off my mother's cheek and never wanting to have to see that again. Yeah. And then just the idea of like anything that I could do to lessen the, because there's already too much suffering and too much sadness in the world. So it's like, I've realized my purpose here is like lessen that as much as possible. And that's why I try to have a positive outcome on positive outlook on everything. You hear me say, say before my three virtues are patience, persistence and positivity. The three P's, three P's, PPP. Anywho, um, Cause again, this patience to understand like things aren't going to always go right. 
you have to be you have to be patient. You have to wait it out. You have to see see because opportunity is coming eventually. Just bide your time. Yeah. This idea of persistence, like things are gonna hit you. You're gonna hit hit with trials, tri- obstacles, and tribulations. But it's like that's part of that's part of the journey because it shapes you and molds you into the man or woman you're meant to become. Become so that can progress and move forward and positivity again. There's the thing. The world could be a horrible place if you just looked at it completely completely objectively but it's like there's always a bright light in the tunnel and you can't just take the world for what it is you got to take the world for what it could be what could come out of it and that idea of like it's not great now it's not amazing now or even ringing this back to me is like i'm i was horrible at math undergrad and high school and middle school i'm telling myself i was always bad at math right but um (laughs) the idea of like this idea of what pushed me forward is like i'm not good at this now but that doesn't mean have any recollection of what's possible for me or what I could get out of in the future. Yeah. Or it's like going back to my personal life. Here I am in a broken household that's trifed with mental disorders and mental and and affected by addiction and all that. But that doesn't have to be the end of my story. What can I get out of this? No, why past has no recollection of what's possible for me because some people have gone through what I've gone before and had amazing outcomes. So I can't use that as an excuse. And like I owe it to myself an obligation of those who believed in me to get out of this, get to a different place where I can help other people so that they don't have to. Yeah. No, man, I, I totally understand that. As the saying goes, pressure makes diamonds and fire makes gold. Uh, it, you're a kappa. That, <laughs> my heart don't pump no Kool-Aid. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but like in all seriousness, though, you know, it is those those cir- circumstances in life that um, um that allows us to grow as individuals. And, you know, I really want to just thank you for taking the time to share your story, be transparent and being vulnerable uh, on the show. And I really just want to take a moment to just say, I, I really appreciate the time that we've spent together today, man. You're soft as hell, but, um, <laughs> but nah, uh, I don't take these time for granted. It's very, very rare that you come across so many people that are so in tune with their feelings and like, I'll say this, like you can learn, you all can learn a lot from Melvin. He never ever shies away from telling people exactly what he feels and how he, and what they mean to him in his life. Do not take this time for granted because these connections, again, the idea of like what's more important than the goal is who you become in pursuit of that goal, the man or woman you're becoming in pursuit of that. You can't become that greater, amazing person without amazing people around you. And so I never ever take it for granted. I joke and jest a lot, but it's like, just being around you, talking to you, having these conversations has given me so much reflection, so much clarity. And it's like, I've definitely become a better person just by being around you, sharing these times with you. So I don't take it for granted either. Oh man, I really appreciate that. So um, I want to transition real quickly to some um, lightning questions that I ask on every episode. Yep. Um, what is your favorite relaxation or self-care activity? Favorite relaxation or self-care? Um... I'm a huge, huge fan of just putting on some lo-fi music, probably drinking green tea. I had this favorite tea shop here called Miro Tea in Ballard, neighborhood Seattle, whoop, whoop. Um, so just drink that and then reading a good book, usually about philosophy or psychology, or it's like those small things because it's like, here's my piece of advice I give to everybody. Every day, once a day, reward yourself. It could be something small as your favorite drink of coffee, buying yourself a new shirt, going to the viewer beach but like you owe it to yourself to kind of keep this motivation going and something to look forward to so my personal thing that i love to do is relax put on some r&b music or put on one of my favorite shows or a favorite thing that brings about memory memories of my fun childhood 
as well as like just reading to just kind of prove like reading something not because I had to read so much for science is like I view it as a luxury like real reading something like I'm just reading this because I want to it's something fun to do yeah well speaking of reading what is your uh, best book recommendation Um, for this subject matter, I'll say Whistling Vivaldi. Whistling Vivaldi is a great book about a perspective of an African-American male going through his own graduate school journey, as well as just kind of understanding the stereotype threat, but then also putting in the context about how it affected him, what it mean to him, and how he, and ask these new questions, why did it make him feel the way he feel, and was he doing something wrong? Can he challenge other people to do something right? So again, it kind of put everything in perspective, and how, and yeah, get something out of it. Now, my favorite personal book is The Great Gatsby. It's just mm. one of the great, great American novels. And you alluded to that earlier. Yeah, today. with the green. Yeah, yeah, with the green light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like, and sometimes it's like, huh? I view myself as Gatsby, the person currently always chasing this thing that he might not ever chase, but he's still happy and have solace in. It. It's like I just enjoy the journey going for it, regardless. I feel that. I feel that. And speaking of the journey, what's one person that you would like to thank for the journey thus far? Tough one. There's so, so many. <laughs> I wish I could just give a culmination of like my family. But more than anything, um, I always like to thank my my grandfather actually died when I was the age of eight. But he's the one that always pushed me. I mean, he was hard on me. and punched me severely when I messed up. But that's because he actually saw something in me that I didn't see for myself. I mean, he even looked at, took me in a walk one park and like, take a deep, deep look around you. And it's like, this, this doesn't always have to be your future. Future, I made the sacrifices and made what did what I did to get our family to this point. I'm passing the torch on you to take it further and get us and, and move us forward so, they, so we don't have to be in this type of neighborhood. That's a very profound thing to say to an eight-year-old. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? I just wanted to go to fucking, no, not the cuss. I just wanted to go to school and look at Power Rangers. And here he is putting this huge, stoic, generational tr- trauma idea on me. It's like idea of progression. But again, pressure makes diamonds. And it's like, I'm grateful for him challenging me like that because it opened my perspective up as a young child. Like, I have an obligation, a responsibility as soon as I open he- here to do as much as I can with what time I'm given to make as big as impact as I could. Yeah. And of course, he died like a year later. And it's like, that's something that's a lesson I always stuck with me. Like, even seeing him buried in the ground, it's like, it's okay, Grandpa. I got it from here. I feel that. I feel that. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate you being on the show. And I hope you have a good, great, great rest of your day. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, I, we can do it again soon sometime. All right. Sounds good. This has been another episode of Don't Be Coy with Uncle Lou. As always, I'd like to thank this episode's guest for a great conversation, as well as thank you, the listener, for joining in. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, I always appreciate your support. If you like today's episode and ever want to listen to more, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to join our community and access future bonus content, be sure to visit dbkpodcast.com.